0: Thanks, Brad. Thanks to all of you for letting me be here. It's, it's a real privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, as Brad mentioned, uh, my name's David Rapp, and I have uh, a wife who's with me, and we have three older children. two of them are with us as, long, as well as a friend. And uh, we're going to be moving towards planting a new church in Golden. Uh, in Western Arvada in the future. So if you have friends there or know people there, we would love to connect with them. We'd love to meet them just to learn about the area. Whether they're people who might be interested in starting a new church or whether they're people who have absolutely no interest in church at all, we'd love to meet them. Um, So this morning, um, we we are here. We're looking at Psalm 87. And we just moved to the area about three months ago. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like to feel like I'm a part of wherever it is that I am living. I've got this longing to, to belong, to fit in. And uh, my kids like to make fun of me because I say, you know, Dad, you're local everywhere. Like, uh, you really fit in. And it's kind of it's an idol of mine uh, that I like to fit in wherever I am. Several years ago, we had the opportunity to go to Western Europe. And I was regularly saying to our children who are a little bit younger, like, you don't have to have your camera out all the time. And let's not, let's not be always looking at directions on our phone because, you know, we don't want to stick out as tourists. We want to, like, that wasn't obvious when we're on the streets of Paris. Um, we've also had, had the privilege over the years of visiting some family uh, in Hawaii and being connected with a new church that's been starting there as well. And when we're there, I wear my board shorts and my flip-flops and... You know, my kids make fun of me because I'm trying to be local. And, and I think it's maybe my, my pinkish white skin that kind of uh, signifies that I'm not really a sun-baked local there. Um, I wonder how long it takes to be local in a place. How long does it take uh, to where people start to say, you know, you're, you're local. What's the TTL, the time to local? I've thought about how long it would take me uh, if we were to live in Hawaii before I started feeling and looking local. And, and my best guess is it would be at least three generations and probably never. So I really have no chance there. Uh, but I wonder about, about here, a place like this. You know, How long does it take to be local here? I've, uh, I've been listening to a, a Denver podcast to try to get more familiar with, with the area. And this one particular episode that I was listening to, one of the hosts was talking to um, some expert on some aspect of Denver and, and asked this particular guest, you know, how long have you lived here? And he said, you know, I've lived here for five years now. And he said it like, you know, like I've been here for an eternity, like for 50 years. I came with a gold rush. You know, he's been here forever. Uh, and I wonder, you know, is five years, is that the, is that the time to local? I want to be on... On the inside, you know, and, and five years, you know, for some of you, might be like, yeah, five years—that's a that's a long time—and for others, not at all. And I think we tend to probably draw the line such that we are in the on the inside because we want to be. We want to be insiders. I think that's kind of a natural longing that we all want to be seen as part of part of the group. We have a longing to belong. And Psalm eighty-seven is actually a song. And it's a song about belonging through being local. It's actually a song celebrating God's great welcome of all kinds of people to be local in his city. Uh, the city is called Zion, and that's referring to Jerusalem. And it's actually referring uh, more to the people who inhabit this place than the place itself. So more about the community, the community that continues and now is known as the church, and what we're going to see is that God really loves His people. He loves this city, and as we as we grasp that love that God has for His city, for His people, and as we start to feel that that love is actually directed towards us, it should do two things. First, it should give us more joy and confidence in being a part of that community, and it should also turn us outward. Uh, and make us desire to welcome more people into that community. Because it's a city that God is still growing. So maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're just exploring Christianity. You're kind of checking out this community, this city. And, um, and I want to say, welcome. Maybe you wonder, could there really be a place for, for me or someone like me in the community that God loves? And the answer that we'll see from this part of God's word is, is yes. Or maybe you wonder, you know, does Christianity really provide the answer to some of the, the racial division and the polarization that we see in our country today? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Or maybe you wonder, you know, does God want to welcome people, uh, maybe like me, who are presently involved in another religion or maybe no religion at all? And the answer is yes. Or what about uh, people, does God want to welcome people whose, whose lives and sexuality presently don't look like what God would ultimately want us to be? And the answer is, is yes. He wants to welcome all kinds of people in. And so this is a song, and it's a song that is inviting all of us, you, me, whoever we might be, to find our life. And our satisfaction in God and in the city that he loves. So let's, as we, as we go through this song, what our ultimate hope and goal is, is that God would, God would use this song to shape our desires and our dreams. So we've already heard the text read. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us again briefly. God, we thank you that you are a God uh, who's not hidden, who hasn't remained far off, but you're a God who wants to be known, and you've revealed yourself to us in your word so that we don't have to guess or wonder at what you're like or what you desire or how you think about us, but you've told us. So we pray this morning that we would see more of what it is that you're doing in this world and that we would even see Jesus and that you would make him beautiful and believable to us, that we might run toward him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, the composer Joseph Haydn wrote a tune that's actually fairly well known. You're, you've probably heard it before, and it's known as Austrian hymn, and it became the tune for the German national anthem. Uh, it's a it's a song of of national pride. We have songs like that in our own country. Songs that stir up courage and loyalty. Sometimes songs that we might sing at a ball game. And songs like that help us to feel connected to a particular place, and they help kind of shape and form our identity, our sense of who we are. And many of you have different things in your life, different groups that you feel particularly connected to that give you a sense of identity. Maybe it's the school that you go to, or maybe it's the school that you went to decades ago, but you've still got the bumper sticker on your car. Or maybe it's a social club or a service organization, and oftentimes the more exclusive those are, the more we feel identified by them. Or a sports team can be a, a group that gives us a sense of identity or solidarity that connects us to people. And songs that sometimes go along with those groups can kind of help confirm and, and form our identity. And Joseph Haydn's tune can do that. It was actually playing at the 1936 Summer Olympics that took place in Berlin. And it was played while Hitler and many of his officers marched into this stadium while 3,000 Germans were belting out Germany, Germany, above all, above all in the world. And the first verse of this, of this song actually became associated with the Nazi regime. So sometimes we see that, that songs that shape our identity to build our identity around our nation or a particular group of people can actually lead us toward exclusivity, towards the building up of walls, to thinking maybe that we are superior to other people, to actually wanting to stay separated. And the reality is that we are separated by all kinds of different things. We're separated by our experiences. We're separated by, by structures. We're separated by race at times. And the Bible says that we are separated by sin. And so the question for us is, how are, how are Christians, followers of Jesus, the people of God, how are we to respond to the separation that exists all around us and the division and the reality is that sometimes we're more inclined to want to build walls than we are to want to build bridges. Even as the people of God, even as the church, it can, it can be easy to start to think that it's really all about us. To slip into thinking that, that the church exists just for us. But the reality that we see in this this psalm, this song, is that because God loves his city so much, when you become a citizen of that city by grace, you then have the privilege of welcoming others into this community that God is still growing. So what we're going to see in this short psalm is that being a citizen of God's city means three things. It means receiving his unbelievable love, And it means embracing the diverse makeup of the the city. And then uh, it means joyfully drinking of life-giving water. So what picture are we given of this city? And the first thing that we see is that the city of God is united by his love, by God's love. And we see the magnitude of that love. If you've got a a Bible you can look, or a phone, you can look at verse 1. It says, on the holy mount stands the city he founded, and the mount is Mount Zion, and the city is Jerusalem, and it's where the temple was, this structure where uh, God's people met with Him, where God Himself dwelled with His people. It was a very special place. And in verse two, it says, "The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob." And so, when it says the Lord loves Zion, he loves Jerusalem, but, re, but more than just the place, it's saying he loves his people. He loves this, this community. And that community is now known as the church. And so we see that God loves his people with a great big love. Verse three, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. He delights in this city. He delights in his people. God looks at this city and he says, And I love my people. I love my city. Not because of what they do for me. Not because of how they make me feel. But because they are are my people. Verse 1 says, it's the city that he founded. He loves them simply because they're his. It's an unmerited love. God doesn't love his city or his people because, because they have it all together. Or because we're just so faithful all the time. It's a completely unmerited love. But that's what binds the city together, what gives it its identity, what what unites the people, is that we are so aware uh, that we are the recipients of this unbelievable, unmerited love. And so the city is to be characterized by people who are resting secure in this love. People who are reminding one another regularly of how much God loves us because you and I are are so prone to to forget that and to doubt that. So the the city is characterized by people regularly reminding one another and singing about God's love for us. And the city is a city that's united in diversity. Psalm 87 goes on to list a bunch of names that we heard read, a bunch of people groups who are included in God's city. And and this list would have been unexpected and and even shocking to the original hearers of this song. Verse four says, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab. Rahab was was a nickname for Egypt. And if you're familiar with the story of God's people, the Egyptians were the people uh, who enslaved God's people for 400 years. Not very nice, but the psalm says that, that they're part of who knows me, and it says Babylon. The Babylonians were these, these cruel and violent people who took God's people away from their homeland, took them into exile, and then it says Philistia. If you're familiar with the Bible story about David and Goliath, David, the little shepherd boy who fights the big giant Goliath, well, Goliath was a Philistine. And these were people who were perennially always enemies of God's people. But God takes these, these outsiders and these foreigners and he makes them local. Think about, uh, about all those Texans who come up here. And, they, and Brad already outed me um, as being from Texas. But, but they come up here and, and they... They crowd your lift lines, and they drive in your bike lanes, and they just make life miserable. Yes, right? But it's even worse than that, if you can imagine. It's even worse than that. These These are enemies who are, like, attacking God's people. But if Egypt and Babylon and Philistia can be included in the city that God loves, in part of God's people, then the question is... Who could possibly be unreachable? Who could possibly be outside of the purview of who God is trying wanting to welcome in? So Psalm 87 forces us to ask some very practical questions, like who would I consider inviting into the community of God's people? You know, maybe to a worship service like this, or or maybe just to a less formal gathering, a party some kind of group that, that you all do, who would you consider inviting in and who who would you expect might actually come? And then what would you expect that their life would have to look like before they actually became a part of the community? Makes us ask questions like, do I, do I tend to think of the church as being primarily for, for people who, mostly have things all together, mostly good people? Do I think of the church as primarily being a place for those who already believe? Or can I conceive of the church as being a place where people could come to belief, maybe through a, a long and, um, and meandering journey, and a place where all of us ha- get to grow together? Well, many years after Psalm 87 was written, God himself went to this city. Jesus went to Jerusalem, ultimately to demonstrate God's great love for his city. And if you know the way that the story goes, Jesus was rejected by his own people, and then he was crucified, and he died, but he didn't hate Jerusalem. Jesus wept for this city. And then he died for his people. So Jesus loved the city and the people who rejected him and ultimately killed him. And after he rose from the dead, he sent his disciples, his closest followers, back to that place. In Acts, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. I want you to go back and I want you to tell them about me and all that I have done. Now, there's certainly elements that we are aware of, elements in our culture, elements in society that we would say are antagonistic toward Christianity, that are hostile even. And maybe we have friends and family members who are hostile or antagonistic toward Christianity. But think about this, you don't get much more antagonistic toward Christianity than pounding nails through the hands and feet of Christ, right? And you don't get much more immoral than killing the Son of God, but these are the very people whom Jesus loved. This is the city that Jesus cared about. These are the people that Jesus sent his followers to in order to offer them the hope of forgiveness, the hope of life So the question for us is, is where in our own lives, in our spheres, can we be seeking to build bridges instead of walls? And what we need to remember is that any of us who might presently consider ourselves citizens of God's people, uh, were brought in from the outside. No matter who we are, we were foreigners, we were outsiders. But now we get to be a part of a community that that isn't exclusive, but welcomes all kinds of people in. And that's actually the wonderful and hopeful thing about the Christian church, is that in the midst of of a world right now that that is so polarized, that is so divided, that is so often against, we get to be part of a group that is looking outward and extending welcome To people who might not like us, people who are disinterested, people who maybe even are antagonistic, but our posture gets to be one, like God's, that is one of welcome. I'm not super active on Facebook, but I realized when we moved a few months ago that I really probably needed to update my profile, where I live, where I work. I realized that, you know, I had a banner that had a picture of of my daughter, a four-year-old daughter who I was teaching to surf, but that daughter is now almost 17. And so I thought, this is really outdated. I think I was like bald and clean-shaven. Um, so I was updating my profile. And when, when I get the, asked the question, you know, where are you from? Um, it's a difficult question for me to answer. Maybe it is for some of you. If you've lived lots of different places like I have, is it, is it where I've lived most recently? Is it um, the place I most want to be Identified with through the place that I've lived the longest, but Facebook made made that question very simple for me because it simply asked, "Where were you born?" And when I saw that, suddenly, you know, my my desire to to feel local um, began to be soothed because the answer is I was born in Denver, actually, and lived lived here through third grade, and so. My birth certificate and my passport all indic- and my social security number all indicate that, that I was born in, in Colorado. And now I've got a Colorado driver's license and license plates. And I know I just got here. And in so many ways, I am far, far from being local or an insider. But there was this sense that, wow, okay, um, I'm actually native. Verse 4 Verse 4 says of people who were foreigners, outsiders, and enemies of his people, this one was born there. Verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. So what's going on here? I mean, obviously, these various people from all kinds of different places, geographic areas, social, political entities, weren't actually literally physically born in Jerusalem. But what God is saying is similar to the language used in the New Testament, um, language of being born again or born from above. These are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. They're part of the people of God. And now they're seen as being local. Or native. Paul can say in the New Testament book called Galatians chapter 4 verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. And so the image is similar to what takes place um, in human adoption. If you are adopted, you are brought into a family uh, of which you did not used to belong, but now you're part of that family. You've got a whole new name, a whole new identity. You are really and truly and legally part of that family. You've got a new citizenship. And God is at work building a new city with citizens from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And that was actually his plan from the very beginning. We see it all throughout the storyline of the Bible. But if we look just at the psalm that comes right before this psalm, if you're great with math, then you'll know that's Psalm 86. And in Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, All the nations who, have, who you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. All the nations. Not just the Israelites, not just God's particular people, but all the nations. And Paul says in the, in the New Testament that this is actually the mystery of what Jesus came to do. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles, Gentiles are, are not Jewish people, probably like the majority of us, if you're not ethnically Jewish, then you are a Gentile. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so what Paul is saying is that The way to become a part of God's people, the way to be a citizen, is through Jesus and the gospel. And that's what coming to Mount Zion, which is what the song is about, that's what coming to Mount Zion is really ultimately about. The author of the New Testament book called Hebrews in chapter 12 says it this way, beginning in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. So to summarize that, you have come to Mount Zion and to Jesus. The way to become local, to be a part of God's city, is through Jesus and the gospel. So what would you say, if you were to think about yourself, if you were to write a list of three things about yourself, what would you say is is your primary identity? The things that first come to mind. Is it that you are an American, a Democrat, a Republican? What identity is is the source of your greatest solidarity with other people, your sense of being connected with other people. If you are a Christian, or if you were to become a Christian through believing in in Jesus's death for you and his rising again for you, then being a Christian is or would become your primary identity. Even more than being black or white or Latino or Asian, even more than being a liberal or a conservative, even more than being a doctor or a mother, being a Christian would be your primary identity. If you are a citizen in the city of God, then that is your primary citizenship. The reality is that there's only one flag that flies over the city of God, and that is the banner of King Jesus. There's only one flag that flies over the church, and that's Jesus and the gospel, which means that whether you're an Egyptian, like Rahab, whether you are a Ukrainian, or Mexican, or American, through Jesus, you become a citizen of the city of God. And so, friends who are just exploring. Christianity. you're just investigating welcome i know this church says welcome to you it exists for you and you're in a great place and some people as they're exploring christianity take a long time wrestling through various questions and investigating and i know that this is a a safe space for you to do that with lots of great people to talk with those questions about But at the same time, you also need to know that your time to local doesn't have to be extended any longer than right now. There's not a a waiting period. You don't have to wait five years to be local. All you have to do is trust that Jesus died in order to forgive you and in order to give you a citizenship that you could never earn. And immediately, if you believe that, you become part of his family. And and the great thing about this family is that you don't give up your ethnicity. You don't have to give up your culture. The church of Jesus isn't monochromatic, and we're not called to be colorblind. Rather, what we get to do is we get to, to celebrate this cultural kaleidoscope that Jesus is at work creating Uh, creating this beautiful mosaic of diverse people being brought together. And we actually get to be a part of what he is building. See, the reason that a new day dawns, the reason that we get to enjoy this beautiful day, that history hasn't just been rolled up, is because King Jesus is, as yet, right now, still gathering a people to himself. And he delights to use us to do that. And we'll be more excited about being a part of that. We'll be more interested in the spiritual welfare of our friends and neighbors as we ourselves are joyfully drinking of Jesus' life-giving water. And so finally, we see that the city of God is a city delighting in the life-giving water together. The last verse, verse seven says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. These are joyful people. They're singing, they're dancing. And why? Why? Because They have tasted this life-giving water, water that Psalm 46 describes this way. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And so to be a citizen of God's people means that you have access to this water, to this life-giving stream. There aren't signs up that say, like, no drinking, no fishing in this area. You have full access. And where does this water come from? if we were to to trace this stream, to follow it up to its source, what we would find is Jesus. Jesus himself, in the New Testament Gospel of John, in chapter 7, did this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But friends, Jesus now has been glorified. Jesus has already died. He's already risen, and he's already poured out his Spirit on everyone who believes in him, which means that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus lives with you and in you, individually and collectively. And if you are filled with that spirit, he gives you the power, the ability to live joyful lives in the midst of the people surrounding you. And you can actually be used by God as a channel of his grace, as a channel of this life-giving water for the people around you who are desperately in need of soul refreshment. That's why the people of God exist. That's why the church is still here in this world. The New Testament book of 1 Peter in chapter 2 says it this way in verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The people of God, those who inhabit the city of God, are a mercied people. Being a citizen in the city of God doesn't mean that you've got it all together. It doesn't mean that you no longer struggle with sin. It means that you are running to God For mercy. It means that you're drinking deeply of Jesus and seeking to find your life and your identity in him. It means saying things like this. It means saying, I love my family, but it's not my life. I love my country, but it's not my life. I value safety, but it's not my life. I value having a a healthy and moral environment for my children, But protecting myself and my family from every possible source of contamination is not my life. My life is found in Jesus. I was once on the outside, but by grace I was adopted in. I was born in the wrong place, but now God's register says that I was born in Zion, I was thirsty and I was running to all kinds of other things to try to satisfy myself, but nothing satisfied until, until I drank of the water that Jesus has on offer. And if he can satisfy me, he can satisfy anyone. Can you imagine, and just think for a moment, can you imagine what it would be like for your most disinterested, your most antagonistic friend or family member to be satisfied by Jesus, to drink this life-giving water, to become a part of God's city. Can you imagine that? Will you pray for that? Will you prayerfully ask God to be at work doing that? What opportunities might we have to be seeking to know and love those who God has placed around us, our neighbors, and to build relationships with them. Where might we have opportunities to stop building up walls, maybe walls that we are kind of inadvertently building, even just the way that we structure our lives, but where might we be able to stop building walls and begin building bridges? Those who say, all my springs are in you, know that they're part of God's family by grace alone. And if we are convinced that we were welcomed into the people of God by grace alone, not because of any virtue that we brought to the table, if we're convinced that we were brought in by grace alone, then it makes us stop looking down on people in condemnation and actually frees us up to look outward. To welcome other people in. The gospel creates a, a life giving community that welcomes others to the feast, to taste and see that the Lord is good. God hasn't put a growth ring around his city, he's still very actively at work inviting more and more people in to be local. Being a citizen means that you get to celebrate Jesus and welcome others in. Joseph Haydn's Austrian hymn was the tune of a a national song of exclusion, but it's actually the tune for a wonderful song of inclusion into God's city by grace. There's a, a hymn, a song called Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. You might be familiar with it. Maybe you even sing it here. It was written by John Newton, who was a former slave trader who also wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken is based on Psalm 87. And in it, it says, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. See the streams of living waters, springing from eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters, and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river Ever flows their thirst to assuage grace, which, like the Lord the Giver, never fails from age to age. And so, this song and, and the psalm that it's based on should be an encouragement to the people of God that we're part of a city that God is still at work growing and gathering from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And as we ourselves drink of the streams of grace, We get the privilege of welcoming others from every race and place to experience the goodness of God. The church is a family. It's a family that God is building from people from all kinds of places and all kinds of backgrounds to be born into, born into citizenship in the city of God. And so let's pray that God would be pleased to use us as labor and delivery wings in the communities that we've been placed in, in order to welcome other people to be born into this city. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are the God of endurance and the God of encouragement, and we ask that you would help us to live in such harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, that we might together with one voice glorify you, and that We might welcome one another and welcome our friends and neighbors just as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. We pray this in his name. Amen.